0: Learn as much as you can about the Creator and keep that Creator on your mind in everything you do from the time you wake up in the morning till the last thing you go to bed at night. The second thing I would say, walk in balance.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Natural Thoughts and Talks. We've got a special guest, Larry Wetsit. Go ahead and uh, take it.
0: Yes, my name is Larry Wetsit. Uh, actually, you're my grandson in mm-hmm. and, and a traditional manner in that um, your grandmother is my sister. And so, I, we have to refer you to as my grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I'm an Assiniboine from the Fort Peck Reservation. My traditional name, as far as our in the Assiniboine people, is Wamni um, Sinde Ombiota, which translates to, uses many eagle tail feathers. And, and that name that I have has a long story to it, which um, I won't tell at this time, because that'll be a uh, that unto itself is probably 20 minutes. But we're definitely going to talk about names, correct? Yeah. We're going to talk about names a little bit here today.
1: Mm-hmm. I like it. Thank you for sitting down and coming down and dropping a little bit of knowledge on us down on the pod today. I'm super excited. And I have a actually a list of questions that I have prepared. I also have some stuff that um, Hannah has thrown in. Uh, she's not here today with us. It's just me and uh, Larry today. So... I wanna talk about the importance of this land, our home.
0: Well, it's very important to native people, the the land, because um, uh, for us, we've been here over 11,000 years. And um, as as the Nakona people, Mm -hmm. as we're called, we call ourselves, um, and this is where the our ancestors lived. This is where our ancestors were come from. This is where their bones are all laid to rest. And uh, we have um, over the generations, there are special parts of the land that are special to us. As we move about in this land, um, we all have. It triggers different thoughts and processes in it. And some of it is from, um, as, as I travel about, sometimes I pass things on the land and it brings a historical thought to me about something that maybe may have occurred in my, my family history. You know, somebody might have had a traumatic event there, but it, it creates uh, feelings in, in us. And so uh, when when Indian people, native people talk about land, it, we have a real sense of belonging to be part of it. It's like, it's where we come from. We, we, it's hard to separate ourselves from the fact that the land that we were walking on and we're sitting here um, is part of us. So it, it has a special place um our people over the years have um did everything they can to remain part of it, and you know even when when we move away when our people move away, they always refer to this as being home you could you could be you could live in a a distant state your whole life, like los angeles california and um, you're, you'll think of this as being home. This is home. Because this is a place you can always come back to. This is where your people come from.
1: I like that. I want to take it back a little bit. I want to hear about your childhood
0: a bit. And I want
1: you to know that we have as much time as you're willing to give us. There's no rush. There's no time constraint. I will be here all day if you want me to be here. So. Okay. Tell me about your
0: childhood. How'd you grow up? I I grew up um, like everybody else on a reservation back in the 50s. I was born in 1953. I was born to a mother who was a a Cinnaboyne from um, the Fort Belknap Reservation at the Little Rocky Mountains in a little community called Lodgepole. And... um, my father was from Assiniboine, from Fort Peck, at a little small community of Oswego. Um, Ash Point is what we call, it was a traditional name for it. Um, and my mom met my dad at, a, our, at, 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 at Fort Belknap at Lodgepole. They used to have, a, every year they have a, a New Year's dance and uh, they they have a, a little ceremony to welcome the new year, and mm-hmm. so or historically, when they had the lodgepole uh, dance, and they still have it to this day. Back in the fifties, the Senouins from Fort Peck would go up there and celebrate with them at their New Year's dance, and so my dad went up there and he danced, and my mom was there, and and um. They hooked up and um, uh, they, um, and as a result, they had a. I have two older sisters, um, one, Deborah, the oldest one, and then your grandmother, Diane, and then they had myself. And when I was three years old, um, my father was killed in a a car accident. So um, my mom raised us. Um and um, she went on to have a number of children. there was ten of us all together. And so in, in my early childhood, um um I have I have good memories of my father. Um, I not very many because you know you they're they're all um uh, a lot of it I can't remember, but I do have some real good memories of of things that things that happened that was, made an impression on me.
1: Was there a uh, reasoning behind the accident that he was in? Was it a like a deer? Or? It was,
0: no, They, him and his friends, he was with a number of his friends. They had been out drinking. And one of his cousins, they were all related. They were all cousins. They were um c- coming back to the reservation, off-reservation at a bar, and they were coming on reservation, and right past the, um, on the west side of the reservation, here's a community called Nashua. They were coming from Nashua to Fraser, and um, right at a place called Wyota Hill, um, they hit a car head-on, and he was one of the, Accident victims. I believe there was four of them in the accident that were killed. And he was one of them, hmm. and he wasn't. He wasn't the driver. Or he wasn't the owner of the car. He was a passenger, um, and it, um, um, it 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 happened for a reason, I guess. Yeah, um, as all things are. Um, so that was my. Um, so it was uh, a that that era that when that all occurred the my memory is pretty foggy as far as what happened to my mom and everything but i do remember living having to live with my grandparents for a while along with her um because i'm sure that was a time when she had to recover from all of that trauma mm-hmm. hap- happening in her life and like i said my mom went on to have uh, have a number of more children seven more after me And we grew up, and and like at the time in the 50s, um, Indians were in severe poverty here. And we were just like everybody else, uh, no different. And it made it a lot harder because my mother wasn't from the Fort Peck Reservation. She was from Fort Belknap. And we lived on um, my father's allotment. And Because as a child, he was allotted land. He was given pieces of land um, for his ownership. And on one of those pieces of land is where my mom moved a house, and we lived there and grew up there in that house. Um, we drove by
1: it last year, last time we were here. Yeah. Uh, over by uh, Reese's house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around there. Oh, down in Fort Belknap, right?
0: No, it was at Fort Peck here. Oh, it was in Fort Peck. Yeah, okay. where your grandmother, where actually your mother grew up. Okay. The location where she grew up in the house in the country. Okay. That was my father's allotment. Okay. One of his pieces of land. Gotcha. And so that's where we we lived. There used to be an old house there it burned down when they had a big fire in us. We got burned down. Um, and then something happened to the land, though right was it was it taken or did it get sold or no what, what happened no, uh the tribe had a big a land purchase plan where land that was had multiple ownership if people wanted to sell their land the tribe bought all of the land so and they still are they buy people's land if they want to sell it to keep it within the tribe so yes um so after I was, after I, um, um, after my father's accident, we, um, we lived there and, um, I grew up, went to school in Wolf Point until I was eight years old. We used to ride the school bus <laughs> and then I went to, um, Fraser High School, graduated from Frazier High School, which is, um, um, uh, the next community, small community, rural community, uh, and on the reservation, and from there I went on to to college. Um, the 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 good thing about my life, I guess, because I look at myself as a um, as a male <clears throat> um, member of the tribe that um, has a kept a, a, a lot of the culture alive for our people. And I I, I give, um, um, I guess uh, that's a result directly of how my mother raised me. My mother raised all of us in our culture. And meaning, <clears throat> for, for Native people, you can't separate... Uh, um, religion from culture, because our culture is in, intertwined in our religion. Um, how how our religion and teaches us how to raise our children, taught, teaches us how to um, uh, interact with our with elders, how to interact with one another, and it also teaches us what's our responsibility to the rest of the tribe. And um, the more that we exercise the culture, the richer our life becomes. Like that. And so um, um, I learned, and I didn't realize until I went to college, I didn't realize how special my um, upbringing really was. Because when I went to college, I met a lot of native people, and I was one of the very few that actually had experience of of ceremonies mm-hmm. of of being um having been immersed from a young age in ceremony. Would you be able to explain some of the ceremonies for our viewers? well <clears throat> we have um as a child, we it, as a child when I grew up, and this started back in the fifties, up until from 19, from my birth, I guess. Um, I was I was born in a time when it was illegal by the government. It was a, for native people to practice their native religion. And that process that that happened because the na the the um, blue eyed people here that ran the reservation that were the government people, the non native people, um, had made a law. They they didn't understand re- our religion. They didn't want to understand our religion. They there was no effort made by them, and so they said. We're going to, you're going to be colonized, and you're going to learn the ways of the greater society. You're all going to become Christians. This is a Christian society. And they, they wanted us all to be Christians. But na- Native people, basically, we, we're not Christians. We all have our own belief. So um, what happened was our our people learned how to become Christians in the daylight, but at night we were native. What would happen if um, you were caught? Um, you know, I, I don't know any any uh, anybody that was. I, I do know some people that went to prison. Oh wow! Um, because of their native activities. Um. So, um, um, so, so in the period that I grew up, and, and I, I thought that traditional religion was always conducted in the dark at night, because when we went to ceremony, we went to people's houses, and when they when they had ceremony, they would uh, dark and they would cover all of the windows. They would turn off their outside light so there was no yard light or anything. And they would start the ceremony after it got dark. And we would finish before the sun came up. Oh, wow. And we did that up until 1976. In ni- and when I was in college 1976, in the early 70s, Native people... Um, Especially, it's the young people that uh, just realized that it was it was illegal of, to what they were doing because this country, the United States, said that in the Constitution that we're all created equal and now we all have freedom. In the in the early seven in the sixties and fifties, Indians weren't treated as people. Mm. Because uh, we couldn't practice our traditional religion. In 1976, finally, this country woke up and passed a law called the Native American uh, Religious Freedom Act, and it made it, it made it legal for us to have traditional religion. Mm-hmm. Even though, and but fortunately for us at Fort Peck. Our, our Nakona people continued to have, maintained their culture, even though a lot of our people become Christians. And, uh, but a handful of people in the outlying community of Fraser and Oswego um, kept their native culture. I think my next
1: question for you is, who uh, influences culture? Who
0: shifts culture? Uh, people do. It's a, pe- Culture is, is something that uh, people, uh, culture dies when people quit, um, when there's no more people to practice it. Cult- uh, culture will change if the people want it to change. Take, for instance, if you, um, e- early on when our people c- practiced culture, um, we did everything by hand. Uh, now, when we do our traditional ceremonies, we use our our vehicles. It's allowable to use vehicles. It's allowable to use uh, hand tools because we traditionally we make um, we make a lodge and we for and tr- and so we've adopted. Um, our culture changed because we start allowing to use machinery and other things. That's an adaptation of culture, mm-hmm. and so our and and a lot of our our culture is taught in English because our children speak English, mm-hmm. and um, there's a movement now to move it more towards um, doing culture in native language. I would like to hear more about the language, though, as far as the uh,
1: oppression of it, the not being allowed to speak it.
0: Okay, um, that whole movement changed. Um, My mother grew up as a a, um, language, native language, Asiniboine being her first language. Um, And in the, 30s and 40s, the 20s, um, all of our children, all of our young people were forced into, it was a process of colonization where they would take all of the people and remove them from the home, all the children and remove them from home and put them into um, um, schools, residential schools. Day schools. If they were close enough, they could go to a day school. If if your community was far away from the school, then you'd have to be go and live there. Mm. And so my mother's school was far enough away that she had to live there. What type of conditions were these schools? Jesus, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, uh, go to those my mother my mother hated them my mother told us because even into my age um, uh, residential schools was available to us and in a large part some families that can't afford to couldn't afford because in severe poverty it's hard to raise children some of them had to send their kids away to boarding schools just so that the children can eat, eat, have something to eat every day. Um, and because of the dire, the poverty that has always existed on, on um, Native, Native lands, especially us here in the, <clears throat> on the plains, because so much of our culture was dependent upon the buffalo. And so when they, when the people killed all of the buffalo off, they killed our food source. We didn't know how to, we didn't know how to farm. We weren't a farming culture. We didn't know how to um, raise cattle and grow wheat, and and we didn't know how to become. Um, blacksmith, we didn't know how to become bankers, et cetera, so our, uh, it wasn't part of our culture. When did they kill the buffalo off? When did that process uh, that began? That started, the, it, most of the buffalo were killed off on the plains here before the 1900s. Hmm. So, um, so it left for, it left a permanent scar on Native people because uh, without uh, food, um, and not only that, but <clears throat> you got you think of the diet of our native people. Before the coming of people, our diet was high in protein. Um, we ate a lot of buffalo. If on the plains here, there was very few things that were eaten that were high in carbohydrates. It was mainly protein some a uh, lot of lot of um uh, um berries roots et cetera that they ate which were really fiber it was it was rich in fiber high in protein. can you
1: talk about how much more nutritious buffalo is than cattle mm-hmm. than
0: traditional beef um It's well. the 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 main difference is that it's not. It doesn't have a high fat content. Our people loved the fat. Our people loved because it was really hard to get. So if they found a fat buffalo, they were rich because, um, you know, with that fat is the real rich taste of meat, Mm -hmm. and so our people loved fat um, because it was. It was like candy. was was something that they could not just get very often. So when uh, kill, when they killed off the buffalo, and our people had to depend upon food from the government, it was high in carbohydrates. It was flour. It was corn. It was um, uh, and all of those grain products. And with a and and. Whatever food that was, was, um, um, provided, w- w- it was preserved, was preserved in salt. Our people didn't eat a lot of salt. They picked up natural salts from the meat that they ate from the buffalo. And, um, so that salt, a combination of the, the high salt and the carbohydrates, uh, we're fed to our people to for to keep them alive, and our people couldn't process it. As a result, our people now have high incidence of diabetes, high incidence of heart problems, and it's because in one, two, or three generations, you don't your body doesn't adapt that quickly to a difference in diet. Our people still struggle with it. It's kind
1: of like alcohol, too,
0: right? And alcohol is another one. We never had alcohol in our lives, our people, and and it takes <clears throat> it takes very little to get an Indian drunk, because their body isn't has never over generations acclimated to to alcohol. But anyway, um, back to where I was talking about um, where I come from. The um, um, my mother went to boarding school, and so as a result, she never allowed us to go to boarding school because she didn't. It wasn't a good, a good uh, memory for her. But when she was in boarding school, to make it worse, when she was, uh, I believe, about thirteen or fourteen years old, and she didn't go to boarding school till she was s- seven or eight, because her people. F- hid her. She lived way in a mountain community. Her parents hid her from the people, from the uh, the government people. And when they did find her, she went to school. And when she was about 13, they discovered that she had uh, um, t- tuberculosis. <clears throat> and so in those days, back in the 30s and 40s, they sent everybody to um, a Sanitarium, a hospital where they lived. So my mother went to a TB sanitarium at uh, Cushman, Washington, and stayed there till she was twenty years old. And when she was about twenty, they they finally had discovered penicillin, and she was cured of it. And then she she got out, and so uh, she didn't she didn't go home to see her people all of those years. Oh wow! So she left home and never came back. So when she came back, she was a grown woman, mm-hmm. and that was that traumatized her, um, and 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 that's how she raised us was because of that trauma of being removed and never going back. And she never allowed her 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 children. She never let none of us go and be away from her for very long. Mm. We all had to. We we tried to. We would ask her to go to boarding school because her friends went to boarding school, and she would not even she she would not even listen to it. She had was she used to tell us, "None of you are ever going to go to boarding school. Don't think you're t- t- leaving. You're going to stay here with me and go to school here." How did she feel about education, though? Um, my mother had a had a. But she my mother realized that education was important. Um, she made us all go to school and, and we went to school because we were poor. I, I went to school because I was poor, because I got to eat. I got to eat a lunch uh, every day. Um, cause you know, as kids we were active, I used to look forward to lunch, but in the process, I got educated. Yeah. Um, she had a, she had a strong belief that we, that education was a way for us to, be able to take care of ourselves, to live, <clears throat> to be able to provide and and mainly to provide for our children that she knew we were going to have. Mm-hmm. so so um, so our people, so our, my brothers and sisters took that serious. Um, but like I said though, I think the most important thing she gave us was that belief in culture. yeah or, or that that knowledge, I shouldn't say the belief the knowledge of our culture. We were rich because she took us to Native ceremony. And I grew up remembering ceremony. I'd I'd fall asleep during the middle of the ceremony, and I'd wake up, and it would be just time to go home. And a lot of times we would go, and as kids we played outside, but we still knew what was going on. And like I was telling, well, I said earlier, when I went to college, I met people that I realized didn't have, that. They, they were brown, they looked just like me, but they didn't have the element of knowing their culture, knowing their ceremonies, and being really proud of who they were. I, I met people that uh, didn't um, understand their culture. They, they were brown. They were, um, look native, black, be- braided hair, been beautiful people, um, but they weren't really immersed in culture. And and because they were raised with families that were Christian. And so I had to, uh, when, during when I was, there were, were people that were practicing culture. So I uh, naturally, uh, uh, migrated to towards those type of Indians in college and, and practice culture with them. We went and sweat, we prayed together, and those type of things kind of help each other out. <clears throat> Can you explain a sweat when you get some time? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain and the, some, some of the elements of our culture are the first things that happen to us when we're when we're born is our people give us a traditional name. You know my my English name. In, in all, all cultures, do it. I mean, you got to call your kids something besides "Hey, Hey, You." We have <laughs> to give them a name so to be part of the culture. We our people give us names. Some some names are significant as to an event or a place or something um, because uh, we believe that you become you know whatever we call you. Whatever your mother calls you, that's what you will become. If my mother, if you if you were born and your mother said, um, Venture, you're my little fighter. I'm going to call you fighter. You know, through your whole life, because your mother calls you that, you will learn to be a fighter in some way. And if they, if she said, venture, you're going to be my baby. We're going to call you baby. Well, you'll act like a baby your whole life because that was what mom called you. Mm-hmm. The, our mothers in our Native culture, the our children, the most important person that we give respect to is our women because they raise our children. Our children, through their life, will speak like their mother does. You speak like your mother, mm-hmm. and because that's the voice you heard throughout your life, growing up, she was the one you reacted to. even if your dad called you, if your mom called you first, you listen to your mom
1: mm-hmm.
0: because that's the person that protected you the most
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so the the most important thing that our people do in life to our children is we give them a name traditional name so and then so usually when you meet native people to prove to show you that they're native they'll tell you this is what my people call me this is my native name and so that's that's the first part of that and it and that name um ties you to your people ties you to a clan or a band or a tribe Yeah, because you're named in the tradition of your people. Like if your people, if our people say traditionally name their children after um, a war event, you'll have a lot of war names with children. If you're, and you know, if your people were farmers, you'd probably have more of names towards food and farming practices and and that kind of thing. So... And if your people were people from the ocean, they your name would really reflect what your what's are important to ocean people. You know, you'd be named after a fish or a algae or um, something on water or something. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the most important. That's the first thing that happens in our lives. The second, the second thing is, is that um, people teach you how to pray. You pray um, because you imitate your parents and your grandparents. So when you, when you're growing up, you'll see your people pray. And because <clears throat> when 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 people have um, a trauma in their life or something, an event that really makes them worried about what's going to happen, our, pe- in, our Indian people will pray. Mm-hmm. Because what is always told to us is that the Creator always listens to Indian people. That's all. I heard that from the day I was born. My mother and everybody else saying, remember, the Creator always listens to you because you're native. And um, so. So um, when we pray, we realize that something greater is listening to us. So we're very serious about it. And and we're given direction. You'll never hear people pray for themselves. You'll never say, creator, give me this, give me that, give me whatever. Instead, you'll hear them pray for others. So in a traditional way, we always pray for others because those other people we pray for will pray for us. So other pe- so we're dependent upon one another. It's a relationship that is created in that method in which we pray. It ties us to others in our tribe because we need them to pray for us, and they need us to pray for them. I like that a lot. And so we learn that as a children. We learn how our people pray. So that's about the third thing we learn. And in that prayer, in the, in learning how to pray, and, and you'll find that the, the hardest thing, what gives you the most trauma or gets you the most excited, things you don't want to do, and that's publicly pray. When people come and say, will you say a word of prayer? People get... It, I mean, it's like asking you to make a public address to a hundred people. You know, mm-hmm. you get anxious about it. Mm-hmm. So it's always, and because of that, it's always an honor for people to be asked to pray. So, um, so we we learn we learn prayer, and then in that process, we also learn what makes prayer special, and that is we smudge. We learn how to smudge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and so we we take sweet grass that, that grows here in the prairie, and we take sage. There's seven types of sage that grows on the prairie, but we only use one type, and we use that sage to purify. We believe that when you smudge with sweet grass or sage, the, the best way to, to smudge is with sweet grass. And the reason why is that is because sweetgrass is very, very hard and intense. It takes a lot of work to make a braid of sweetgrass. Because because when you pick sweetgrass, you pick it one little piece at a time to make a braid, and it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's special for our people to use sweetgrass. Um, and so we use sweet grass, and we, and, and we use that to purify our spirit, cleanse our spirit. Because when, when, we, when I'm going to pray, I want the Creator to see my spirit, and that spirit has to be clean. It has to be pure. So I clean my spirit with, with the smoke from the sweet grass. Mm-hmm. And then I offer prayer for whatever it is. Um, whether somebody is sick, whether um, you're going to name somebody, or whether you're going to have a ceremony. Maybe somebody might have passed away, or maybe people are just having a hard time getting by. So you pray for them. Pray that everything works out for them. So that's uh, one of the, the basic you know that and getting a name and learning how to pray. Once you, you're beyond that point, you're firmly entrenched in our culture. You have a foundation. Then which knowing those two things, it allows you to move on to participating ceremony. When somebody <clears throat> somebody wants something real bad, they'll they'll offer and ask somebody that is very knowledgeable in, in culture to have a sweat, and in that sweat, it's a, it's a mini ceremony of a larger ceremony. The larger ceremony is called Medicine Lodge, but a Mer- Medicine Lodge is only done once a year. So throughout the years, you can do a, a mini ceremony. It's called a, a we call it a It's a sweat, it's a little sweat lodge. Mini lodge, built like a big lodge, except it's mm-hmm. it's covered and and we use hot rocks to purify ourselves <clears throat> with water, water on the hot rocks like a sauna. And in that ceremony, then um, we uh, we pray. We'll, we'll offer prayers for um, um, our whatever it is that the people have asked for prayer for and then like if, if your children were all in school and they're going to go to uh, have to travel to some place somebody might come and say let's i want you to pray and have a ceremony so they can go over there and they can have no accidents or misfortunes and then they can come home we can you know, we can have a sweat for that or if you're if somebody somebody had family has a family member has passed away we can have a sweat for them to help them get through that process of of burying their people. Or if somebody had a baby, we can sweat so that that baby can be healthy and have a good life. So different events, life events, we have sweat for. And you do it and have, um, you go inside the first round and you pray, put water on the rocks and then You'll offer a prayer, and then maybe you'll sing a few lodge songs or a few songs that that go with the sweat.
1: I think that's a good transition into the songs too. If you want to tell me about the songs, the importance of them.
0: Oh, that's something that you learn as a child too. Is that you'll learn that in every ceremony of Native ceremony here on the Prairie Plains is uh, all of our all we have songs that we have special songs that that people have. And, and some people get the uh, get the songs from the creator in that when they go to sleep at night, they'll have the creator comes to them and will give them a song. And um, then they, if they wake up and remember it, they're allowed to claim that song as theirs. And it may be a special song that, goes with a part of a ceremony or it might be just a song um, to make people feel good. So we have songs that make people just social songs because we have social ceremonies or it could be a song that is a special cultural or traditional ceremonial song. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's up to the people that had the dream and how it came to them. So uh, when we have ceremony, people that have songs are invited to ceremony because you, to, in order to have ceremony, you have to have a couple things. Most ceremonies, you need people that have, have songs, and, um, and some you also have to have people that, have, that are veterans of, of war, veterans, people that have shown their bravery in uh, physical action. We have to have those kind of people come to special ceremonies because without that, those brave people, we can't move forward. Mm -hmm. When you have ceremony and you usually invite people, well, I guess you only invite certain people. In native ceremony, if you know about the ceremonies happening, you're free to go. Okay. Nobody gets invited except the people that have to be there. So if you're having sweat and and you don't have any, you know, only maybe one song or two and you want other people to come to sing songs because you're gonna go three or four rounds, you may invite um, two or three other people that you know have songs and you'll, and how you invite them, it, in a traditional manner, you take a little bit of, you know what was what was really hard for us to find on a prairie because we weren't farmers, was tobacco, oh. and we traded for tobacco with other tribes. So tobacco took on a very special part of our ceremony and our culture, in that it was a it was like having it was one of the most precious things that we could because we liked it tasted good, but it was hard to get. So. So in, in culture, then, when you gave a gift of tobacco to somebody, it was very special. You thought highly of that person. So when you have ceremony now, uh, what, so what used to be do is you take a little bit of tobacco, you take it to somebody that may have the songs you want, and you'll say, I want to give this to you and ask you. I'm having a ceremony on this day. And I want to know if you'll come and you'll... Bring your songs and you'll help you help. You'll sing for us, and so some of those people could be invited. So if you're, we had hand game. It's a it's a it's a social game, but it's also a religious game, and we did a lot of that when I was growing up. And that is a small ceremony, um, like um, uh, that is also tied to our main ceremony, the medicine lodge, in that. They pray for people. They usually have a ceremony, like I said, for a very special event in somebody's lives. And then, in the, then those cases, they'll invite people that have song um, and that have a hand game bundle. Because those only people that have a hand game bundle uh, were allowed or had to be at the ceremony. So they would invite those people with tobacco and maybe a gift. So um, that was that was two ceremonies that you could have as a hand game. You could have a, a sweat. Uh, you can also have a cultural, um, a social uh, ceremony uh, that is a not so religious but purely social. We could have a, a owl dance where you invite where you just. Invite people that could sing, that had a lot of owl dance songs. You'd invite them, say, bring your drum. We're going to have an owl dance at the community center or at the TP, or wherever you want them. And they would come, and then people would, and then you'd just spread the word and, with a moccasin grapevine, if you will, where we just tell one person and we like to pass news. So we're all, we, we tell everybody the news. So people come. So we had social and, and religious ceremonies that, that I participated in growing up. Well like, those are the ones that I go to college, and nobody had ever they've heard about them, but they never did go. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the '70s, when I went to school, um, we, it was, was still was, was illegal, and, and people were very hesitant to admit that they had done things illegal. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't want to, our people, our parents didn't, a lot of parents that were truly trying to be good colonized Indians wouldn't allow their family members to go and be part of traditional ceremony because they were scared. They thought that it was important to be colonized. And to forget the old ways. And how does that mindset from back then in the
1: 70s still
0: affect natives today? Yes, it does. Because if you were, if you're my age and I'm, I'm uh, 69, uh, 69 and a half, I <laughs> should say. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the grandparents in our community now, a lot of the grand, native grandparents are, have been colonizing their children and grandchildren have have never had the experience of knowing, really being immersed in their culture. Uh, a handful of grandparents, uh, if, I, if I was to put a percentage, I would say less than, t- uh, probably about 10% of the grandparents really participated in ceremony growing up. And they, since then, some have learned some of it, but very few of them had actually grow grow up as a of their, part of their thought process, if you will. Because um, I, the, the the difference I see, and I guess in myself compared to others and my family, is that my first thought, if I of prayer is traditional prayer. I never think about. I've never went to the church for anything in my life. Um, Whereas others still think of that when they have something traumatic in their life that they still have to invite and in, in, include the priest and have priests come and have bring, bring their guitars and sing and stuff or whatever? i I didn't think like I don't think like that. my first thought is always traditional because I that's what I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a difference mm-hmm. in the process.
1: I think before we move on from this topic, my last question is, what do you think happens to the soul or the mind or the body when culture is stripped from a human being? What what type of effects happen? I think the reason I bring this up is because there's so many people that uh unfortunately I've grown up with that don't know their culture, they're not active in their um you know, in their ways. They're lost, they uh they just immigrated from somewhere else, Germany, you know, way back during the war and their grandparents just never talked about it. And they just started a new life here and they just have nothing back past. You know, we have 11,000 years, like you said, they have 50, you know, from what they remember of their grandparents or something like that from Mm -hmm. the old country. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What, what does that do? Are people lost? What, what happens?
0: Well, I don't know anything about anybody else except, Nakota people. Uh-huh. I've, I've never studied other, uh, other cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me tell you about Nakota people. We believe and we know because I can say for, a f- I tell you for a fact, the creator is real. When I talk about the creator, I know he- the creator is real. Um, that when we pass, we go to the another world that is not of this world. Our spirit goes there, and um, we all were sent to this world by the Creator. And we were all sent for a purpose. I mean, we were all sent here for something. And when it's time for us, the Creator will bring us home. In, in, in different fashions, some of us will dry, die traumatically, some will die very peacefully, some will die in war, some will die in peace, but we'll all pass. When we pass, our, our spirit travels for four days on the day that we die it travels around because it doesn't know it's it's dead so the spirit passes when the body dies the spirit continues to live for uh, continues to live but it still thinks it's part of this world so it travels around for 3 days to all the places that were familiar to all the people that were important to that person. And it will travel around and spend time there. On the fourth day, the spirit realizes that the body is dead and that the spirit has to go back to the the spirit world, that other world. And so before that body passes, before that spirit travels to the other side, our people have a ceremony for that. And, and that is to prepare that spirit for the journey into the other world because they know that the people in the other world are waiting for that spirit to go back to them. So we prepare that spirit in ceremony for that quick journey. And so we have what we call a fourth day feast, and that's a ceremony where we invite people, we and 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 the family gathers, and everybody that was special, and we have a quick ceremony so that that spirit can pass, and after that the the body and the spirit are detached.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, it, and and if the bo- if if that doesn't happen, then that spirit is going to go back to wherever that body it's going to have it it may or may not pass to the native spirit world what, what that's all i know i've always been told that if you don't have it your spirit continues to roam the, of this earth mm-hmm. and have a hard time getting into the other side mm-hmm. so um I, I don't know how other others are but we we have we have a strong what we what was told to me is that um, the Creator came s- centuries ago and gave our people this religion, and He told us that as long as we do this, our native, our Indian people would live. When we quit doing our ceremonies and practicing our religion, our Nakona people are going to perish from the earth. Mm. Yeah, so that's as much as I know about the spirit world. When it happens to me, you ask me, and I'll come back and I'll tell you. Okay, <laughs> sounds like a plan.
1: <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing everything so far. It's all been really good stuff, and it's all been stuff that I maybe even if I have heard of it, I haven't really retained it, and it's just really good to have new information and just learn from your elders.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I want to talk about fatherhood I want to talk about you being a grandfather I want to talk about your uh, sort of your experiences through that world you know um, what you've learned sort of the philosophies
0: that you've tried to instill
1: in your children and grandchildren
0: sure um yeah I, I have um I, I've stepped into the role at a young age of being a father i've I have my I had my first child when I was 19. And I had my second one when I was twenty-three, maybe twenty-two. Two boys, and um, I, and like I said, I grew up without a father. I grew up without a father figure. I um, grew up and, and was close, closer to my grandfather. My because after my father passed, um, my grandparents because I was their first grandson, my grandfather and my grandmother um, took me to a lot of ceremony. The, uh, my earliest memories of going to ceremony was with them and they um, um, and, and so I, I sat and I watched. I guess I was influenced greatly by my grandparents. Um, on my father's side, the, he, my my grandfather, I'm sure, felt bad about it and felt that he had to step up because my uncles, uh, I had a younger uncle uh, uncle that wasn't much older than me, and then I had an older uncle, uh, uncle that was um, living in, um, living somewhere else, because uh, he had a family. So I had very little interaction. So I learned how to be a father from, I think a lot from my, um, my, my grandfather and my uncles on my mother's side influenced me. And unfortunately because of the family that I grew up on being very traditional, um, I l- learned those traditional values of, that my responsibility was, I was always told that my responsibility as a man was to protect and take care of women. Um, in that uh, that there was some very strong teachings of, of how you interacted with them in traditional culture. Um, when we have ceremony and stuff, oh, the men and the women are always separated in ceremony. And I was always I told you do it because women are very special and because women raise children and they talk to them and they, they they laugh to the babies. They sing to them, and they teach and and teach us until we're so so old. And then we're given to the men, and then the men men finish out the males. The women continue to teach the girls, and then the males teach us that I was always told that the men's responsibility was to carry ceremony. And um, and and in those ceremonies, you were teach some stuff on on how you interact with one another. That you always um, greeted um, other people that come to ceremony, or and when you see people, you cre- greet them with a hug or a handshake or a, some sort of a f- affection um, to to show that you're you like them and that you you want them to be a part of your life. And then you're supposed to always I was always told you're supposed to talk good um, because I, one of the things that was taught to me was and, and here's a, here's a way of that I always explain to people what it is is I can take if some somebody does something bad to you. Let's say for instance, I took a knife right now and stabbed you in the lake. Oh, you'd really hate me for a long time. Your 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 wound will heal, and it, your 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 leg would feel good again, and you'd go for ten years, and you'd forget about that. On a daily basis, you'd forget you even have a stab wound until one day you look at it and you say, "Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's when I got stabbed by my grandfather." Mm-hmm. And but and 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 you'll have quit hating me and and we'll be friends again. But if I said something to you that hurt your heart, you'd never heal from that. You'd always, even though you would try to be friends with me again, every time you see me, you, that little hurt in your heart would be, still be there. So I was always told. Be careful of what you say to people because if you hurt their heart, they'll never forget that. It'll be hard for you to have another close relationship with that person in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> because people will forgive physical damage uh, to a large extent, but they will never, f- they'll never. Heal from a emotional damage. Mm-hmm. So I was I was told to speak well to people, meaning speak good, th- say good things to people. Don't don't hurt their heart. Don't ever hurt their heart. If if you like them, if they're special to you, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Even your enemies don't do that. Okay. Um, so, so it's those, those type of teachings that I learned as a young man that I've instilled in my children. Respect your wives. Respect your aunties. You, and, and all of us, all of us be, never, they don't need to be, you don't need to physically hit, um, bother them to get good results from them. You don't need to hit them. You don't need to push them and shove them. Um, they're special people. Mm-hmm. They raise your children. Yeah, they speak. They speak to them. So you want them to always feel good. You want them because when they feel good, babies get treated good. Oh, I like that. When when you when you're mean to your 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 spouse, they're going to be mean to baby. Mm-hmm. So it's it, 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 your children will be a result of how you treated your wife. Hmm. If you treat your wife good, if you if you respect her and keep her happy and keep her and and if and keep her industrious, she'll teach all of that to your baby. Hmm. So you in indirectly as a male influence the raising of your children and how you treat their mother.
1: I like that. I've never heard that before. Yeah.
0: And so I so that's that's what I learned. That's that's those are some of the things I've taught in my children. I've always tried to instill in them this sense of balance. What you learn in traditional religion is is balance, a sense of balance in that as you go out through go all through life, um that every every being on this earth is full of good things and bad things. We're 50-50, there's a balance in our life. 50% of us, we all wanna be wicked. All, all, especially men, we love to be wicked. We love to be, we love to fight, we love to argue, especially when we're young. Um, And um, uh, we also at the same time like to do good things. And, and we, at any time when we meet other people, we can always do one of two things. Our first impression to meet people is we, could always, we can turn around and we can punch them as hard as we could to see if we can knock them down. Or we can say, hey, you really look good today. I want to hug you because I'm so proud for you to be my relative. I can approach it, you know can approach it in a good way or I can approach it in a bad way. Each time that I do one of those actions, I'm taking a little bit of my either good or my bad out of my spirit and giving it to you. Mm -hmm. And then I'm out of balance Mm -hmm. because I took something out of my spirit, which is in total balance, and give it away. So now I'm out of balance. So if I did something, if I took the initiative to punch you when I first seen you, I took some bad from me and I gave it to you. So I'm going to walk around in this world until somebody does something bad and gives something bad back to me. Mm-hmm. And when they punch me or say something to me or damage me and give me that that, that act back, I'm out of balance. Then, then they will put me back in balance, and I can go continue on. If I gave good things to you, it puts me out of balance, and then I'll walk around until somebody puts something good back in my spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's that sense of balance. So we're always we're in traditional religion. We're taught to keep that balance. If you're going to give something away. Give some of your good away. Be generous to people. Sp- speak good of people. Don't, don't, don't um, gossip about people. Don't say anything bad about them. Even your enemies. Speak highly of your enemies. Our people used to sing songs of their enemies about how brave they were and how fierce that they were. So in, in that respect, we were giving some of our good away and make, to make our enemies give us something good back. Mm, I like that. And so, that, so I grew up with that kind of uh, teachings of, of, in, in this traditional stuff. So I've, I, with, with those in mind, and then, then, then that sense of responsibility, I grew up with a sense of responsibility that as a male, I was to take care of my mom. I was supposed to take care of my sisters. I was supposed to take care of my my sisters' kids because we, in the traditional religion, um, any of my any of my my sisters' kids, um, and and her family, if if my sister uh, lost. Her husband. Um, I was to become the um, the the uncle to those. uh, I was I was the uncle to those children. If I lost the one of my brothers, if one of my brothers um, passed away, and his children i My responsibility was to step in and be the father to his children mm. i was I, I I remained the uncle to my sister's kids and I'll always be father to my brother's kids mm. S- so that kids always grew up with it. and so um for my sisters that had a husband if 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 her husband passed, then his brothers should are there, have responsibility of stepping in to be fathers to their brothers' kids. Yeah. So in a way, in a traditional matter, kids always had a father to take them to ceremony, to teach them how to provide for their family and that kind of stuff. So it was a it we we were all we we're all tied together. So uh, so I gr- I've grown up. I had six sisters. I have six sisters. So my response, I always do, is be the uncle to my sister's kids. I have three brothers, and and if any of them pass, then I'm supposed to step up and be the father to their children. I can, and be, and we're 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 taught as young age that our relatives, our older relatives, can do anything they want to to us. They can correct us. They're responsible for correcting. As an uncle, if you step out of line. Um, if for my for my child for my for your mother or your um or your uncles if any of them step out of line it's my responsibility that I should go over there because mm-hmm. because my your grandfather passed away my responsibility is to go over there and tell your uncles hey behave mm-hmm. this is what you should be doing Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to step into that role. So I learned, you know, those are things that we learn to how to interact with our relatives and within our family. So we're always taught that the most scary people I grew up with that I was always scared was my aunties. <laughs> because aunties could say anything they wanted to me, and I could not. And and my aunties was the first one, if I step out of line, when I was young, if I if I was drinking around oh my aunties if they seen me in public as soon as i was in public and i see one of them they would they would tell me out loud to everybody that i was misbehaving mm-hmm. so um that that kind of kept us all in line so i learned that so as i learned that that's the kind of teaching i i passed to my children yeah. my two boys i i i taught them as a father to that their responsibility was really to, to step up and figure out how they were going to take care of their families at an early age, to be responsible. So my kids, when they left home, they left both left home as soon as they graduated from school. As soon as they were able to leave my house, they went and made their own life and are taking care of their families. Um, and then so with my... As I as I transitioned to being a grandfather, uh, a grandfather uh, role in in my in my life as I remember it, uh, my grandfather was the one that taught me, the, lay, 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 left laid the foundation for culture for me. So in my role now, I I make sure my all my grandchildren have a. a The ability to know as much of our culture as possible. Um, I'm the one that teaches them not only culture, but I try to pass whatever and to reinforce what their parents are telling them about their responsibility as Native people, how to take care of themselves, how to speak, how to interact in in in, with uh, the public, and. how, how to be responsible, and how and try to help them all to be, be prepared for, parenthood. On a on a um, and as a as a grandfather, we, uh, I, I never questioned my grandfather. I never talked back to him. I was taught you never ever, the, the older the person, the less. I mean, you you can't even really look them right in the eye you kind of bow your head and show reverence to them. So that's the kind of role I, my grandparent, my grandchildren, when I speak to them, nobody, they've learned, don't talk back to grandpa Uh, because I don't say nothing, but their parents will say something and their aunties will say something to them. Mm -hmm. And so we're all taught that. So, so I know that. So my role and and my, and is to, um, or influence and, and to reinforce what they're already hearing from their parents, and to make sure that they become very good members of our community mm-hmm. and, and be um, uh, and and I always and, and to always reinforce and make them believe in themselves. I always um, try to make sure when my grand, when my grandchildren come and talk to me that they speak highly of themselves. Yeah. they speak highly of themselves, then they achieve what they're talking and how they're talking and what they're going to be and what they're going to do in life. Because they believe that they can they, do it, right? They believe they can do it. We have to always reinforce that. It takes It takes a number of times to say something before you start believing it. I like that a lot. So you got to keep. So my grandchildren, and I have, when they when they tell me negative things about themselves, I make them say the opposite a number of times. Keep encouraging them to say that to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been been my role, um, and and uh, as far as the community, I'm a community elder, in that I carry um, I carry knowledge of ceremony. And when you carry knowledge of ceremony, it includes a, a, the whole fabric of your culture. So I carry a lot of that culture around. People come to me for, they have, for questions. They come to me to help their, their children transition to young people. They, they have come to me to ask how to get names for their children. They come to me when people are sick. They come to me when they want ceremony for some special stuff or whatever, because those are all things that I've learned and people in the community um have shown and, and you and, 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 and in 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 the community uh, you don't have to go around telling people how important you are. You teach them through action, through mm-hmm. your own action. Mm-hmm. So in the community here, I've carried myself in a in a, a very respectful way and i try my best to try to make a better life for people so people treat me the same way back because that's balance i live in balance balance so when i'm when i'm doing good when i try to do good by tr- trying to help people then wherever i go something good happens for me not always but because sometimes I'm like, I'm a human being. Sometimes I make errors, and I forget, and I, I say things I shouldn't say. Mm-hmm. We all do that. And you'll be reminded when those words are given back to you. I like it.
1: Well, I think that um, you've given more than enough yeah. as a uh, guest on the podcast. Thank you for sitting down and you know sharing some wise words and I think I have maybe one final question for you before we go ahead and close it out here. It's, what do you think? Maybe, maybe what is one or two sentences that I should carry with me uh, as I graduate college here and I'm starting to enter my career and industry and, you know, put certain things in place to start a family and be able to take care of them and uh, grow into the man that I see myself becoming.
0: The first thing I would say to you is learn as much as you can about the Creator and keep that Creator on your mind in everything you do from the time you wake up in the morning till the last thing you go to bed at night. The second thing I would say, walk in balance walk in balance. I like it.
1: Well, Natural Thoughts and Talks, another great episode. Thank you guys for listening. As always, love you guys, and thank you for sticking in there with us, and we'll be back next week. Bye.